Hey everyone, it's Mike. I'm including a bit of a disclaimer here at the beginning before we get to the actual context of the show, because one of the conversations did go in a pretty dark direction, and it came out of nowhere. It wasn't something that was included before the show in any notes or descriptions as to what was going to be talked about, and it just kind of, boom, there it is. So I I did want to give people a warning and a bit of a heads up, just in case this isn't something you'd like to expose yourself to. Certainly not something I'd listen to right before you go to bed. I know this conversation stayed with me for many, many hours after the show and something I was thinking about quite a bit the next day as well. So just FYI, before you listen, if you don't want to listen to this one, there are 2,700 plus other podcasts to listen to and a whole lot of videos as well. But thank you everyone for supporting the show. And if you decide to continue listening, I hope you enjoy it. Take care. Do you want to start off by telling the Izzy story? I could start off by telling the Izzy story. I love the Izzy story. So, all right. So, for I guess we about about two years ago, we started teaching my daughter how to read. Now, of course, her role as a satanic offspring means that mostly it's ancient Aramaic, which she's supposed to be able to recite backwards while spinning her head around. But that's uh, perhaps a topic for another time. But um, so. Um, she was about 18 months or two years when we started doing the ABCs and all of that. But really for the last year, we've been reading uh, every day. And she's not been a huge fan of the reading. She doesn't mind it too much. Like, it's not, like, horrible for her. But she's not, she doesn't really love it uh, in the way that she loves some other stuff. And look, I completely understand that. You know, we were at a place the other day where there was a piano and there was this 10-year-old girl playing piano, and um, the girl said, uh, oh, yeah, for the first you know two years, I hated it. Now I love it. You know, whenever you learn something new, it's annoying. <laughs> I mean, just naturally, right? So I understand that. And uh, so we, we worked out deals, and uh, she uh, ended up being mostly okay with it. And uh, I mean, I, I guess I caught some flack for, quote, making her read I, you know, the language that people use around compulsion is really interesting. Um, like, making her read sounds like a, you know, locking her in a box without food until she coughs up some Dickens or something. You know, it just um, – it's negotiation. It's negotiation. And uh, the degree to which people extrapolate that to making her do something is, is kind of crazy. Like, I make moral arguments like the against-me argument – and then I'm making people do things like, no, I'm making a moral argument. And uh, people can accept it or reject it. They can do it or not do it, but I'm making a moral argument. Anyway, so I guess uh, maybe two weeks ago, she – like just literally – and this is – I mean if you're a parent, you'll know what I mean. Like you wake up one morning and suddenly like you have a new child. It's a new child. It's a new day. And it's like, Whoa. Where the heck did this person come from? And she just, she looked at me in the morning. And she said, Dad, I like reading now. I said, oh, really? How's that? And she said, I think I'm getting really good at it. And I really like it. And she said, I want you to leave my favorite book by my bed uh, tonight so that in the morning I can do some reading. Unprompted, right? I mean, obviously, after that, I let her out of the windowless a van and gave her some food, but uh, unprompted, she's like, I really like reading now. And I said, wow, you know, of course, a long time 
you uh, you didn't like it. And she's like, yeah, I think I was just learning and it was frustrating. But I really, I really like reading now. And she has. She's pretty much dove into it. And I try not to, you know, uh, you know, just as in parenting as in this show, I try not to lead the witness. <laughs> Are you happy now that daddy made you <laughs> read for a year? But I just said, uh, I said, yeah, I, I remember that girl who was playing piano. So she didn't really like it for the first two years. And then she, now she really loves it. And she's happy that she kind of kept up with it. And she said, yeah, I remember you saying that. And just wanted to say, dad. You know, thanks a lot for making me read. I can't remember now. I'm like, oh, she can't use that. But that's what she was thanking. Thanks so much for. And I said, uh, so, yeah, and I said, but I never made you read. Right. I mean, like if you'd have said to me, like, Dad, no way am I going to read like you can't make like there's no way. Then I just said, OK, well, <laughs> not going to force you. Never going to force you to do anything. But uh, but you been negotiated and we found uh, incentivized. You know, I said, explain the word incentive and so on. It's not bribery. It's legal bribery. Uh, anyway, so so anyway, uh, I guess after about a year of not exactly battles, but a year of incentivizing dear Izzy to uh, read, she uh, now is really enjoying reading. She suggests, like, instead of me reading her a story uh, for bed, now she, you know, gives me a bottle, tucks me in, reads me a story, and then goes and plays Skyrim. <laughs> oh, such a role reversal. Anyway, so I just sort of wanted to pass that along that um, – she is, you know, I always said, like, I try to try and act as a parent in such a way that my daughter will thank me for the choices that I have made when she gets older. And in this case, it took a year. She's now very happy that she knows how to read and she knows she has to keep practicing. And uh, she's also become a really good dancer, but that's a topic for another time. Anyway, so um, just wanted to mention that it doesn't doesn't mean of course i'm right about everything i just is with regards to parenting but she is now very happy that uh, she did stick with the reading and it really wasn't a huge amount of storm and stress anyway so all right that's uh, sort of my intro for what it's worth fdrurl.com slash donate to helpy outy the show all right uh, attila wrote in and said i'm stuck in a pattern of making commitments and then breaking commitments uh, and then self-attacking because of it. This often leaves me with intense feelings of shame, and I'm having a difficult time finding the strength to break this cycle. Do you have any suggestions? Right. Okay, so I'm going to cut right to the chase and assume that you weren't allowed to say no as a child. Yes. <laughs> yes? Yes what? Yes, I was That's not. That's rather ambivalent. <laughs> you were not allowed to say no, and how did I know that? Um, I I can't think of an answer right away. <laughs> I All was right. just basically instructed on what to do, and like I was raised in such a way that like I was told that like I wouldn't do anything unless I knew what to do, and I had to be made sure of that I did what I was told, and like there was always a supervisor. Not allowed to think for yourself, not allowed to negotiate for yourself, and not allowed to say no, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, and that is very destructive best. for children. Yeah, I mean, you're just training children to be little cogs in a big industrial or military machine in the good old Prussian uh, educational model. Uh, so, um, so the general pattern uh, seems to be that uh, when people ask you to do things, you don't feel comfortable saying no, right? Yeah, so I do them anyway. Well, no, you don't. 
You you make like, the commitment. Like you, you start to do it, I, right? I start doing it, and then I stop halfway. Right. So you don't do it. Like I, I get this weird sort of schizophrenic disconnect, like halfway, like like why am I doing this? Right. Yeah. Okay. So now you rationally you know that it, let's say you're coming back um, midnight on a flight, and your friend says, "I'll pick you up." Right. And you're like, "Hey, fantastic!" Right. So I don't need to call for a cab. I don't need to make alternate arrangements or whatever, right? Now, if your friend doesn't show up, obviously you're in a worse situation than if you'd said, I'm sorry, I can't pick you up. I've got to work the next morning or whatever, right? Yeah. Right? So people who make commitments and do not keep their commitments are like they drain the economic and energy lifeblood of the planet because uh, people end up wasting a huge amount of time covering up uh, or, or finding alternative arrangements or rushing to do stopgap measures because they have believed someone's commitments, uh, but that person is not uh, following through, right? And I just say this because, you know, when I was a manager, many people would say, oh, I'll have something ready for you by Monday. And therefore, I wouldn't do it myself or I wouldn't find someone else to do it. <laughs> Come Monday, they'd be like, oh, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if you told me this last week, I could have got it done. But because I trusted you, it's now not done. It could have been done. Now it's not done. And it is uh, incredibly destructive to uh, other people. Now, please, I don't want to say Genghis Khan or anything like that. But what I'm trying to point out is that it's so obviously irrational to make commitments that you won't keep that it, it can't come from any evaluation of the present. It must come from habits in the past, right? So when someone asks you to do something, if you're raised and not allowed to say no, if someone asks you to do something, you can't say no because it brings up a massive amount of anxiety, right? Yeah. And so you say yes to appease them in the moment. But then later you feel indifferent or resentful because you feel like it was kind of forced out of you, right? Like you didn't have a say, you didn't have a choice. They, quote, kind of made you do it, right? And then you feel this resentment or this indifference or – and then you end up not doing it, right? Yeah, and, and whenever like they also ask me like why am, I, why am I not doing this? Why am I neglecting this? Why am I like putting this off? I'll, I always say like, okay, I'll do it and then just continue on. Right, like, right. And, and what's right. crazy so it's very passive-aggressive, right? Yeah, and, and at that moment, I actually am convinced that I will do it. It's just like – I just slip out of that into this other kind of mindset where I analyze, like, why did I do this? And, like, just make up excuses. Why did you do what? Why did you say yes? Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, you're taking out, I would imagine, your anger at your parents on people who are asking you to do things, right? Yeah. Because right, if it, your parents never let you say no, then they're not letting you exist, Right. Yeah. Existence is, is <laughs> existence is not the great yes. Existence is the great no. Identity is is the great no. Right, and and I'll you know that's pretty easy to prove, right? Uh, have you ever been around like like chickens or or other kinds of animals? You, you throw or, or goldfish or whatever. Of course, we all have, right? At least goldfish. Yeah. So you throw food in a goldfish bowl. What does it do? It just eats it. Like just eats the shit out reaction. of that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it never says no. It's never like, well, you know, I'm I'm watching my figure. I I can't fit into my tights anymore, and I'm hoping to look good in the next Jacques Cousteau documentary. Right, chickens. 
they see a bug, they will go and eat the shit out of that bug. They never say no, right? Yeah, they never stop. And yeah, so the more primitive the life form, the more it just says yes to everything, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So sophistication as a life form is learning how to say no. Right? The essence of being a human being is saying no. And if you're not allowed to say no and you are a human child, then you actually are being denied what it is to be a human being, I would argue. Yeah, it's it's basically the thing where like their experience and age trumps whatever I say. Like, even if I, like, later tried to argue with them, they always said, like, oh, but you're still wrong because we're older. Right, 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 right. Right, so, so then all you do is you buy a piece of electronic equipment and you ask them to explain it to you because they're older, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and they, they don't have a clue. How, yeah. Right. Can you show me how to connect this tablet to the wireless router? Because you're older and you just know stuff and you're right because you're older. Right? So and, – and pulling the age card is is really, really pitiful. Right? I mean there's Godwin's Law, which is whoever compares someone to Hitler automatically loses the argument. And to me, whoever pulls the age card, I mean you've just lost the argument. You've just said, I don't have a good reason, so tree rings. <laughs> I have more, you have fewer, young sapling, therefore I'm correct. So uh, think, think of young kids with candy, right? Do they, do they often say, no, I'm concerned about cavities? No. <laughs> they eat that stuff uh, sometimes till they get sick, right? And you, know, you can see this, right? I mean, as our humanity gets progressively more stripped away, through the increasing power of the state, you can see people are losing the ability to say no. No. <laughs> right? Which is why, why? I mean, people getting fatter, right? Less healthy. They're losing the willpower to say no because our humanity is being taken from us. And we, when we lose the ability to, to say no, we lose our identity. Uh, I believe very, very strongly uh, that particular setup. So when you're not allowed to say no as a child, your identity uh, drains away from you, your personality, your your willpower, you, your higher functioning, I believe, takes significant blows. And um, I imagine you are probably not too happy with that in your history, not being allowed to say no. No, I'm not because like even even right now, even when I was like putting the question together, I had tremendous difficulties with expressing what I wanted. I just have this feeling that I can't express myself the way I want to. How do you um, think you're doing in the call? My my hardest to do that. <laughs> I'm my. sorry, you're what? Your heart is to do that or your hardest to do that? Yeah, my best in trying to express myself. No, how do you think you're doing? In this how? Point? Yeah. 
not good. Not good? Why? Because I I feel like like I, I've I've been taking notes and rehearsing all these lines and I'm just drawing blanks and I'm just Is there to... anything that you wanna that you rehearsed that you wanna get across? Yes. Uh, Please don't I, let me. Uh, I, I had a, don't let me block that. I'd hate for you to have your best lines unsaid. So what do you got? <laughs> no, it's. I, I'm not. I'm not like basically preparing a speech. I'm just like one of the bullet points I wanted to go through is that I had a really violent childhood, like uh, parents divorcing and yelling and hitting and throwing, like not at me but more at each other. And uh, this this manifested in like like me and my brother. When we were like really small children, like freaking toddlers, we just saw this and like seeing stuff like that. That and I and the freakiest thing is that I only know this because my mother told me about it. That she would basically get between my father and us and basically catch the stuff that was thrown at us with her own body. And um, like my brother was basically bawling at the time and I was just like like just going through this internal thing where I wouldn't say anything I, w- I made no sound but like these these streams were rolling down my face right and I think that was when like I started just shutting it out by like finding myself to lose something to lose myself in like at the time it was Legos and then it was TV and then it was computer games and then it was like at one point it was like just being outside being far away so I couldn't hear right right and and all of these things right all of these activities that you've talked about involve never having to say no do you ever say no to Lego no it's... Ever say no to TV? Huh. I'm not saying did you ever not watch TV. What you, I mean is yeah, it, I understand. it's not it, a negotiation, it, it, right? It's, it's not a voluntary thing on the part of the other person. Well, did you – and computer games, I mean you're on a train track for the most part, right? Yeah. I mean go do this objective. Okay. Right. Go do this objective. Go fetch this thing. Okay. Right. Go kill this guy. Go climb that mountain. <laughs> Cross that stream. Okay. Right. I mean you very rarely – say no in computer games. I mean, occasionally, right? Uh, in, mm-hmm. in some of the sort of open-ended games, like you can say no to a quest or whatever, right? But what I'm pointing out is that what you found escape into was situations where either you never said no or saying no never had re- negative re- – like it didn't have negative repercussions, right? Yeah, like no negative repercussions that actually like directly affected me. And I think another – interesting thing was when I was like hanging out with other kids like I had to be like them because if you weren't then you became the target and like I remember at one point I was actually like just picked out like for no good reason just because I was standing in a particular spot and they all started throwing rocks at me and that's the other thing that like I really am concerned about is like my reaction was initially like stop stop like stop hurting me and then when they didn't and they kept laughing I just went into this like just blackout and it's almost like seeing yourself in third person 
and I'm just walking up to them and, and I f- I'm feeling no pain. And I, and that's the moment where like, I felt like if, if I could get any of them, then I don't know what I would do. Right. And, and do you know why that happened, right? Or do you? I don't know. I just guess I got sick of being powerless. I just. No, I can tell. I can tell you. I can tell you why that happened, if you like. <sighs> okay. Again, it's technically a guess, but it's not really, right? Can I tell you why this happened. Because you said you're hurting me, right? And your goal in saying that it was hurting you was for them to stop, right? Yeah. And then. They continued and laughed. In other words, they said to you, we know it's hurting you. That's the point. We're sadists. In fact, thank you for telling us that it's hurting you. Because now we know how to hurt you. And that makes us very happy because we're sadists. Right? We want to hurt you. If the guy's torturing you and you say, oh, shit, you know, when you put the needle in there, that hurts me the most. He's like, well, good. That's my job. (laughs) Right. Thank you for telling me. I never thought of it that way. Like, I didn't think that children that small would be capable of that. Maybe that's what they saw at home. Well, children are not capable of sadism. One of the oh, yeah. uh, primary yeah, marks of adult psychopathy or sociopathy is cruelty towards animals, which is finding out what hurts the animals the most and doing that. That's sadism, isn't it? And and I actually, like, did that too. And I don't really think I did, I did it with that kind of mindset. Like, this is going to sound really crazy. Like, and I know it is. Uh, like, I didn't realize at the time, but I didn't see animals as sentient entities I, I saw them as like just moving things yeah like a like a robot or something yeah right? yeah and i wanted to learn about them and i like actually was killing them in and what kind of animals were you killing chickens geese cats small cats kittens just anything that was like way too small and I I remember just everything I did, and it's it's horrible. Um, and I, how I mean, how would you even find the kittens to kill? I'm not uh, sure I follow that. There were there were stray cats, and they would leave their kittens in the sewers, and we would crawl around the sewers looking for them. And then when you would find a kitten, what would you do? Well, we would try to pet them, but once they like scratched us or something, then we would turn violent. And what would you do? I don't remember. I, I remember yes, you one, do. one no, time. No, come on. No, you brought this up. <laughs> okay. What did you do? Throw them around. I think, like, yeah, that, that, what, what I did was I threw them around. I hit them with things. What a- things did after- you hit them with? just wooden plank something that like didn't involve me like reaching my hand out again because or I would just claw them back so you would hit kittens with wooden planks yeah and how do you feel about that when we're talking about it I feel bad even even when we're not talking about it anytime I stop to think about it I, I feel horrible 
because, like, now I know that it was a thing that could think that had sentience and it had a life and it felt oh, they pain. want to live as much as they want to live as much as you do right yeah yeah and, and like especially with the chickens like there was this one time when i was even younger i would put chickens in tar and watch them slowly sink and oh like a, they would sink like like this black hot quicksand yes. kind of thing right yes and they would panic, and they would try to yes. find a way out. But as they struggled, I assume I they would sink further all. in. And and I'm just I don't understand why I was so fascinated about it. I just feel this like complete sense of revulsion now. And I rem- I remember also the moment when this like shift happened. But where where, to me. where would you get chickens from? Uh my grandfather would take me to his country house and we would just move around and some of the neighbors would let us in and play in the backyard. My brother and I. <laughs> so that's that's where. Wait, so you would uh, take your neighbor's chickens yeah, and put like them in these the, the way The way they saw it was basically property damage. So like they talked to my grandfather about it who would of course like reprimand us or even like spank us because of that and tell us that it was wrong but it didn't really work because we kept doing it for a few more years and how many chickens do you think you killed I wasn't really counting but I think it was like six or eight and what about uh, kittens two and when you say we, you mean your brother and yourself? Uh, yeah, my brother and myself mostly, and also like the, like the other kids we used to hang out with. They, like they did it too. Like we were basically well, of self. Of course, of course, they would do it too because, I mean, kids with compassion wouldn't be in the gang, right? Yeah. So kids who would be like, you're hitting kittens with wood. Yeah. You are sinking chickens who have personalities into. Tar pits. I, I have one more story to tell. The, the moment when I actually like made the realization, it was another time when I was hanging with them, and by then, like I was already at the point where like I was just too, like I just couldn't do it myself, but I could couldn't still watch them do it. Like the, oh, you couldn't uh, yeah, torture I could, and I kill the animals yeah. in this way. Yeah, I, I was unable to do it, but I could still watch it and. I remember there were these two kittens on a pipe that was above water and they were throwing rocks at them. And like I remember Oh the kit wait, the kittens were floating in a stream or No, a, no, they, they were above a pipe. They were on standing on a pipe that was above water and they were so small they couldn't even see their eyes weren't opened yet. So we were throwing rocks at them to knock them off into the water. Oh so they would drown. Yeah. And I remember I threw just one rock and it hit one kitten and it slipped off and I saw it drown and that was that was my moment. That that was when I had this like Hitchcock scene where like I I was like holding my head and like, Holy shit, what did I do? And I just remember how old were you at this point? Some somewhere between nine and eleven. And that was the point where, like, I was just, like, walking off, and 
I, ju I just turned back to to like the group that was like going in like hey you're missing all the fun and I was like I'm, I'm going home fuck you guys so they were not troubled in fact they were enjoying yeah this uh, the death of the kitten yeah and how are you feeling now that we're talking about still terrible it doesn't sound <sighs> terrible to you I, I still remember everything vividly and I don't I don't think I ever want to forget because I never want to do it again did your brother continue to do these things <sighs> maybe I, I I don't remember I just like completely just went into my own little world after that and just like shut out everyone that had anything to do with any of that and what violence did you experience as a child? <sighs> Spanking repeatedly with instruments. <sighs> yelled at. You mean implements? Like uh, wooden spoons and yeah. ladles? and Yeah, wooden spoons. Like, 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 nice. Basically, beatings, like, right? I at one time remember being like spanked with a wooden spoon until it broke. So, to the point of cutting significant bruising? Yeah. And how often would that occur? The most often it was was three times a week. It, it, it varied. So you so, would be beaten to, with implements sometimes up to three times a week? Yeah. It depended on like what, what severity my parents decided the crime was. <sighs> well, of course the crime was the assaults on you, right? <laughs> I mean, children, children are not born wanting to kill kittens, right? Yeah. Like this it's was... not like yeah, you came out of the womb saying, can't wait to get bigger <laughs> to drown kittens and kill chickens, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Do you remember the first time that you were uh, the cruel to animals in this way? The very first time, I don't, I don't really remember it. Like, like those are really, really fuzzy. I remember it, it must have been geese, because I remember that geese would hiss at you when you approached them, and they would always move in a in a pack, and yeah. they were really terrifying because, like, they were almost my size, and and that's why I was just attacking them or just harassing them. So, um, you mean sort of Canada geese? So, so, sorry, what? Like Canada geese kind of thing? Uh... No, the reason I'm asking is I'm trying to sort of think of the height. So you'd have been like four, maybe, or five? Yeah, yeah, four or five. Right. Right. And did you kill any of the geese? I remember, like, inadvertently killing one, basically. We were just, like, carrying one around with us, and it would make this noise, and so we would hold its uh, beak closed. And we didn't realize that by holding Oh, you beak, choked up its nose and its, its yeah. air supply, right? Yeah. 
And so it struggled, and you panicked, and you clamped down, and then it suffocated? Yeah. And was that your first experience of death that close? Yeah. And how did you feel when the when the geese died? Uh, I, I was terrified. I, did, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't What were you terrified know, of? What were you like, terrified of? Like, how am I going to explain this? And, like, the geese was someone's, and they're going to be really mad at me. So it was really fear of consequences, not sorrow for the geese. And I'm not, I'm not trying yeah. to criticize. I'm just yeah. trying to understand your mindset. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to think with, with the mind that I had at the time. Sure. You were afraid of being beaten. Yes. Now, do you know how – do you have any memories prior to being beaten? In other words, do you know if it happened later um, or do you – at least you, it happened as far back as you can recall? I don't really remember the first time it happened. Uh, okay. So it wasn't like there was a period of calm. So as far as you know, the beatings basically could have started in infancy. The beatings were like – basically an ever-present threat so it was mainly there to deter us from doing anything that the that the parents said that was not good so anytime like we did something and we got caught we got beaten oh no no you you no 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 come on you got to be wiser than that you can't imagine it was punishment for misdeeds no, like that—that's what they said. Like that's how they thought. Okay, I just—I just want to make sure you're clear yeah. on that. Yeah, like, like it's I not like, uh, oh well, that. you know, I did a bad thing and then I got punished, but the punishment was wrong, but I still did a bad thing, right? I mean, the the, the rules that are set up for children are uh, usually, in my to my way of looking at things, and I think there's good evidence for this, but the rules that are set up for children are set up so that children will fail those rules and uh, will be punished. Yeah, there's no way you can not fail those rules. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And the rules, you know, they change and, and uh, someone's in a bad mood and they just wish to they wish to discharge violence against children without feeling that they're evil, so they invent rules as an excuse. It's not that I'm an evil person who enjoys torturing children, it's that the children uh, failed to obey the rules, and therefore I can uncork my sadism and pretend it's not just evil, right? I also remember, like, one of the defense mechanisms I had when I was small was, like, I would just watch TV and just go completely catatonic for most of the day. So, like, I would literally do nothing that they could use as an excuse. Sure, sure. So, And then they'd say... Uh, you know, you didn't do something or you're being lazy or go outside or to get angry about yeah. that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Go outside. No. And Paralysis then, and then doesn't I work. Go. Activity doesn't work. Oh, uh, no question. I mean, the rules, I, I got this at least pretty early that the rules were just there to, for, for people in a bad mood to have an excuse for aggression. Yeah. And both of them. And, and I, knew that because, I knew that because, because whenever I tried to reverse the rules, uh, I would just get in more trouble. Right. So if I ever didn't keep my word, I would get punished. But if my mother didn't keep my word, then I would get punished. It's like, okay, so it's got nothing to do with keeping your word, right? It's not a, like there's this abstract moral standard that you're bound to as you bind me to it. It's just made-up crap that you use for sadism, right? Which is basically the, yeah. <laughs> the reality of state of statism as well. But that's At the time, that the wasn't even conceivable to us to like question anything they did. Right. 
Well, of course, because questioning would lead to more, right? If people have been doing a lot of immoral and uh, abusive things towards children, and then the ch- uh, uh, using rules as an excuse, then the moment that children start to hold adults accountable to the rules that are used as an excuse for evil, then they're allying themselves with the remnants of a good conscience in the parent's mind, which is considered to be the most heinous attack a child can make upon a parent and punished uh, the most, if that makes any sense. Uh, Shall I run through it again? Yes, it's, yes, please. It's, it's, right. it's, it's for Okay, you. so... <laughs> Uh, so uh, the rules are the excuse that the authorities use to 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 be cruel, right? Right. So somebody somebody who's a prosecutor in the war on drugs uh, l- loves the feeling of uh, sadism of holding somebody's life in their hands and having that person beg for mercy, right? Yeah. That that's the feeling that they want. That's the feeling that they need. It's not because they don't regretfully do it to enforce the rules. The rules are there to allow them to do that without feeling evil. It's law and order, right? They brought this on themselves. No consequence. (laughs) Well, so the rules are used to enable the sadism. But the moment that the children attempt to place the same rules upon the abusers... The rules are revealed as mere covers for the sadism. In other words, they can no longer fool themselves that they are, you know, regretful enactors of the moral law, right? The, yeah. the, the, the moment the rules are revealed as false, the sadism emerges, right? Which is why UPB makes some people really angry. Because the moment you reveal the supposedly universal rules as self-serving camouflage for rank sadism people start to become in contact with their own corruption and they can't abstract it away by saying that they are mere regretful enactors of the universal laws. Yeah. And, and you I mean, you see this, right? So there was this, I can't remember, some senator or congressman who was really gung-ho on maximum sentences for people caught with drugs and, and so on, right? And Until, of course... His own son is caught with drugs, and then he works every conceivable political muscle he can to get the kid into a treatment facility at the taxpayer's expense and to not have him charged and to make you know make sure nothing ends up on his permanent record and all that, right? In other words, the rules have nothing to do with uh, any, any moral standard, right? Right. Like, I mean, I have a moral standard called don't lie to people who tell the truth. But in the same way I have the non-initiation of force, I have the non-initiation of lying. And people lie to me. <laughs> Fucking whatever, right? Game on, right? I don't give a shit. But if someone's telling me the truth, I have an honest relationship, then I owe that person the truth, right? And so uh, if people hold me to the standard of honesty, great. If I'm in a situation where somebody has told me the truth, then I feel bound to tell the truth. And... Um, so I have, you know, no problem being held to a standard of honesty. I have no problem holding my daughter to a standard of honesty, my friends to a standard of honesty, right? Great. 
but uh, rules, uh, moral rules, uh, are not uh, not invented for universals. Otherwise, there'd be no such thing as an authority that was exempt from those moral rules. Because the whole point of authority is to be exempt from the moral rules, is to use them as vents for the sadistic impulse, which is tragically common to a lot of people. And for you, if I may venture forward a theory, for you, to have power is to inflict pain, right? Yeah, that that, that was the that. lesson of your childhood. If you have power, then you can inflict horrifying pain, right? On, on, on whatever can't fight back. You understand? Yeah. Which is why when I asked you, you said it was incomprehensible that I would turn the tables on the moral rules of my parents, right? So you understood that that it was hypocrisy, that it was a mere event. Yeah, unconsciously, you understood it, right? Or subconsciously. Yeah, yeah, it was just... And so, so your parents have the rule, or they have the standard. If you have... Uh, to, to have power is, is to inflict pain. Like right? Another, and and that, Sorry, go ahead. Another thing that like, I, I learned from it is basically you can only have power over something that is smaller than you. Oh, yeah. No, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Right? So uh, to have power is to, uh, is to inflict pain. And sadists are cowards. Right? And, and people who abuse children are unbelievable cowards. Right? Because the sadist never says, uh, you know, I really feel powerless. I feel the need to inflict suffering on someone else to get me the endorphins of cruelty. So I'm going to go to a biker bar and pick a fight, right? <laughs> right they, don't, they don't say that because people in a biker bar can fight the fuck back, right? Yeah. Right? So, so you to, – to have power, which an all, all – all beings seek power. I mean, this is the will to power, right? I seek power. You seek power. It's natural. Nothing wrong with it. Perfectly healthy. Having power over your environment is building a house, right? Having power over disease is building sewage systems, right? There's nothing wrong with the urge or the drive or the desire for power. Obviously, I wish to change people's minds, which means I wish to have power over their thoughts, natural. And, and the way I do that is to give them a methodology for thinking that leads everyone to reasonable conclusions. At least that's my goal. So there's nothing wrong with the quest for power. It is why we're having this conversation. It's why we have technology. It's why we have medicine. Why we have shelter. Why we have cars. <laughs> so we all have a drive for power. And our parents and our teachers and our preachers and our governments instruct, instruct children on what power is. And your parents, I'm all too sorry to say, taught you that power is the torture of helpless and dependent animals. Right? That's why I don't want it? No, this is why you killed kittens and geese. Ah. Oh yeah, because when I was smaller, because yeah. because you were helpless, and whoever you make feel helpless will strive for power. This is always the blowback 
of control. Whoever you make feel helpless will strive for power. And the way that they will attempt to enact that power, in most cases, is how their parents enacted that power, right? That's why self-knowledge is important, so you can evaluate your parents and your preachers and your teachers and your governments according to universal moral standards so that you don't end up merely replicating, right? So whoever you make feel helpless will strive for power using the same methodologies that you use to make them feel helpless. That's a convoluted way of putting it, but I hope that makes yeah, it makes some sense. sense. So I would imagine that your cruelty towards animals resulted and probably there was a direct temporal causation in other words, your parents had just humiliated and brutalized you or one of the group in your gang and made you feel helpless. And helplessness is an unbearable feeling for all animals because helplessness is often death, right? It means you give up. Yeah. And so all animals that are experience helplessness will attempt to assert some measure of power over their environment, and they will do so using the same methodology that made them feel helpless. Now, in your family, the methodology was you enact sadism against helpless animals, right? And so the animals were to you as you were to your parents. Mm-hmm. You were attempting to gain power by becoming your parents with regards to these animals and reenacting the same kind of murder that you were experiencing at the brutal beatings of your parents' implements. This is what power was. And when you are humiliated and made to feel powerless, which is what happens when you're beaten to perhaps within an inch of your life, then you will go out and attempt to exercise power over the next thing that crosses your path. Using the methodology that your parents used, which was violence and abuse. And this is why I've said, horrifying though your stories are, This is why I have said for many years that we cannot improve the lot of animals without improving the lot of children. Oh, I agree. And I am very sorry. I am incredibly and deeply sorry that your parents brutalized you in this absolutely satanic manner. It had nothing to do with rules. It had nothing to do with punishment. Any more than you were punishing the chickens by putting them in a tar pit. Any more than you were punishing the kitten by knocking it into the water so that it drowned when it could not even see. These were not punishments for breaking rules, it, right? It, was, it wasn't just rules. It was also disobeying anything they said. No, I get it. I know, I get it. Having an identity, right? And yeah. whenever you create an organism and says identity is death, you're basically – when you create a situation for any organism where identity is death – 
the organism will usually react with explosive rage. And what I mean by that is if you uh, – you know, the, the, the lion's identity is to eat meat, right? And if you say to the lion, you can only eat grass, the lion will panic and attack, right? I mean if you leave the situation long enough because it knows that you are denying its identity, uh, which is a, a basically a form of murder. And so it's kill or be killed in that situation, right? Yeah. And I did feel this violent rage like only twice. Like it, it was this feeling of like I couldn't even breathe because my throat would constrict that much. Well, no, that was the least violent rage because you felt it. The more, the more violent rage was watching the chicken sink into the tar pit and, and die while stretching its beak out for the last grass was oxygen when you could have saved it at any time. You understand? That was far more rage yeah. than when you actually felt it. Because I didn't right, to didn't not, feel, to not feel the rage. Yeah, to, to not feel the rage, but to watch the poor animal suffer and die through no fault of its own because that's how you know how to exercise power and this is what you do when you feel helpless. To watch that calmly, to watch that animal die is far more rage than what you felt at the boys who threw the rocks, right? Because that rage resulted in the deaths of the animals whereas the other rage did not result in a death of anyone, right? Yeah. That was probably the least angry that you were if that makes any sense. Because you knew it. It wasn't being acted out. Yeah, I see, but I I just never want to get to that point again. But you don't um you don't have much emotional reaction to these stories. I'm telling you it's it's very hard to hear. I know. I also need to be kind of quiet because it's late, but I, for some reason, well, there probably is a good reason, but not that it comes to mind right now. I developed, like, this method of basically shutting everything in, like, not showing anything. Like, even my handwriting is this, like, undecryptable, like, typing font. And... Like I just internalized everything. I just I was just drawing things and like yeah. I don't I don't I neither follow nor buy any of that. Uh, I will tell you what I think, which doesn't mean I'm right, but I'll tell you what I think. Okay. I think you're spinning me another yarn. I think what it is basically is that if you tell horrifying stories without any emotional connection, it's cruel to the other person. It is. Right. You just throw me into a little tar pit, right? Because I have to feel everything that you're not feeling, right? So there's still a little bit of cruelty in this, right? You're still exercising some sort of power, right? Now, I'm not helpless in this conversation, unlike the chickens and the ducks and the geese and the kittens. I, I know, I just, I just want to inform... Like, I don't want to influence or anything. I don't understand what you're saying. 
I, I don't I don't want to influence or anything. I just want to inform. So, um, I'm I'm not sure what you're saying. That, like, I'm not going to alter anything you are like trying to like put together from this. I'm just like trying to give facts and. No, no, don't. You can, I mean, lie to yourself if you want, but don't lie to me, right? You're not just trying to give me facts. You could give me, there are billions of facts in the world you could give me, right? You're not just trying to give me facts. Come on. You, you can't expect me to believe that. You can't tell me stories of unbelievable cruelty to animals and then say, well, you know, I'm just trying to give you facts. No. No, there's a pattern here, right? And I don't mean this with hostility and I don't mean this with meanness or anything like that. I do mean this with care and concern and empathy. But there is a pattern here. Okay, then I and the pattern, is, the, the pattern is that for you to feel like what would it cost you to – I assume you said you feel terrible, right? And I said, but it doesn't really sound like it, right? And then you went off on another tangent, which I let go. It's fine. I recognize that you weren't ready for it. But you're ready for it now. The reason I don't want to show emotion is because I would have to show vulnerability to people. Right. That you would have to own the shit you did. You would actually have to be responsible for the cruelty you committed as a child. Right. The emotions are ownership. It's not just that. I I think I'm going to like get cruelty from others if I confess because do you then, think you will then get cruelty I will be from under me? them do you think you will get cruelty from me if you're vulnerable no so then don't tell me things that aren't true we're talking about this conversation right now oh okay yeah, yeah. right <sighs> what does it cost you in your conversation with me to connect to the cruelty that you exhibited as a child to perhaps dozens of obviously entirely innocent animals. What does it cost you to connect with that emotionally? I I never knew the cost. But you know it now because there's a reason you're not connecting with it. Do you know how it comes across to other people when you talk about these issues without any emotional connection? It comes across as being actively cruel right now. Yes, I think so. And again, I'm not saying you're consciously so, trying to be cruel. I'm just, I, 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 think I, I can understand it, it rationally, right. but something's not working right. No, I, I don't agree with that. Because to your credit, my friend... And I'm not saying that ironically, like my friend, right? But to your credit, you ran away, right? Yeah. You didn't have to. Other people didn't, right? Other yeah, people there would stayed. have been no consequences, but... Right. So you ran away. You were finally uh, horrified by what you did. Before, you were like coldly curious, right? As you watched the animals suffer and die, knowing that they were going to die. Yeah. But then, at that moment, when the blind kitten fell into the water and drowned, 
you did one thing right and one thing wrong. What were those things? Like, I walked away, but... That's what you did right? And I, and I didn't show any emotion. No. No. I didn't ask them to stop. No. Nope. You're thinking about yourself. Which is the problem. Oh. Yeah. What did you not do? I didn't try to stop them from harming the other kitten. Nope. Can't, can't, can't have done that either. You couldn't have guaranteed that, right? Yeah. What could you have done? <laughs> you're still thinking about yourself and your friends. I... could have told someone but no nope. no nope. would have been too late what could you have done Silent. No, I know. I, I know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's uh, appreciate you staying with the conversation. It's pretty hard fucking work, right? I'm, I'm trying to imagine the situation again. Right. Just imagine myself being in it. And trying to think. You threw a rock. You hit a blind kitten who fell in the water. Attila. Yeah. What did you not do? that you should have done I, I like there, there was no way of, of getting to it there was how was there no way of getting to it like it was out of arm's reach it was in the water by the time I would have like went down in the basement it, it would have drowned anyway how do you know why didn't you try how do you know Because the kitten is you, right? Because I waited too long. And that's why I say you did something right and you ran away, but you did something wrong in that the one thing that you could have done was try to save the blind, drowning kitten, Attila, right? Yeah. Because you, you were the one who put that helpless animal into the water. Yeah. Not anyone else. You were the one who put the animal into the water. And you owed that animal salvation. Right? I remember the noise it made. 
What did it sound like? <sighs> that that noise that kittens make when they're calling for their mother. That mm. high pitched meow. Just gone by gurgle. But you could have saved it if you had acted quickly enough. If I ran down yep. down the stairs, the basement. Yep. Yep. I don't know if it was locked or not. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to understand the physics of all of this, right? Yeah, it's... But you could have tried. I could have tried, but I didn't. Instead, I just went home and just shut myself in. And how many times have you thought of that kitten since? (sighs) Not very often, but every once in a while I did. And, like, after I scheduled this call, I kept thinking more and more about it. Like, I was actually actively trying to go through everything in order as I was making my notes. And uh, that's when I started thinking about all of the stuff again. And do you think, um, because you're still not really connecting with anything emotionally, right? And do you think you have that capacity somewhere within you? Did you... I mean, when you think of the desperate sound that helpless kitten made, drowning in the water because of what you did, when you think of the desperate eyes of the chicken sliding into the tar pit, when you think of the convulsions of the goose as you accidentally choked it to death. I think, when I, whenever I think of that... No, 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 not think. Not think. Thinking you have no problem with. Yeah, I think my capacity to connect is like almost entirely gone. I don't know that that's true. Like, I, I, I did get emotional on songs or sad scenes or just whenever like something happened but I feel like it's it's going away what's going away my ability to express and feel emotions for things like No, I heard the emotion. I heard the emotion earlier, and I can tell you this. Mike, did you uh, get any – did you have any anticipation of uh, child torture and death stories from the back and forth you had with Attila? No, and I didn't check in earlier today to clarify his question. Right. So you avoided this stuff, right, Attila, in getting ready for this conversation, right? Yeah, I thought it was too long-winded. Too long-winded? Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. Like, it was just... I was I was trying to, like, get something to get the question in with and then, like, use that to open up into this. No. 
no, no, I, no. This is uh, it's a bait and switch, right? It's an ambush. It's an ambush of pretty intense cruelty towards animals, which you had not discussed at all with Mike prior to setting up the conversation, right? Yeah. So the fact that you avoided it is uh, could come from one of two possibilities. The first possibility is that you you were getting off on telling all of these cruel stories. Like it, it gives you a thrill. It's fun in a in a weird way. Well, I guess obviously in a weird way, right? So you you come on the show because you want to talk about um, you know letting people down because you don't follow through on bloody bloody blah, right? And then you bring up this uh, intense cruelty uh, and and killing of animals, right? Yeah. Now, did you not talk about this prior? to setting up the call because you're getting off on talking about it? No. No, I'm not okay. getting off. I, I actually, like, really hate myself because of that. Hate yourself because of what? Because of these things, the things that I did. It's just... Yeah, I, but you're just maybe, saying it, right? I mean, these are just I'm words. Not... No, these, are, these are just words. I can only do one ambush a week. <laughs> okay. So, what do you mean when you say you hate yourself for this? Because you say it, but again, there's no emotional content behind anything that you're saying. I don't let myself process it because I don't want to forget. I don't want to move on. I don't. What do you mean you don't want to forget? You seem to forget the whole goddamn thing when talking with Mike. What do you mean you don't want to forget? What does that mean? You th- you think that by not feeling it, you're going to somehow r- retain it? There's cruelty in what you did on this call. How is avoiding it helping? How is not feeling it helping? It's not. Somehow imagining that not emotionally processing... The cruelty you had, which I sympathize with and I understand. I'm not, I hope you don't feel condemned for it in this conversation. I hope that I've expressed genuine sympathy, which I feel. And I'm telling you, Attila, I'm telling you, this is a now or never situation. You think you're going to have another conversation like this next week with someone? About. About these, the, the about these issues animal. with someone who's willing to listen and give you sympathy, who's not going to freak out, who's not going to back away, who's not going to get horrified, who's not going to condemn you, who's not going to change the subject. You, you, you think these conversations are like a dime a dozen that you can waste time on this one? No. This is this not a now or never situation? Are you you going to get another one of these conversations coming along anytime soon? I'm not. Okay, so then stop the intellectualizing and stop the abstractions and open your heart because that's the way to save the kitten in the present, right? You can't go back in time and save that kitten, but you can make that death. The death of that kitten means some goddamn thing by opening your heart up in the present. So don't give me this, I hate myself in the abstract or whatever. Tell me, what is it like to live in the head of someone who has done these things? 
It's like not living at all. Go on. Like not wanting to go forward because then I would have to do something, change something. And you paralyzed, you mean? Yeah. Go on. Paralyzed to save the world from what? To save others or to save animals or to save those around you from what? From cruelty. From your cruelty? Yeah. And what cruelty are you capable of that you are paralyzing with this approach of unfeelingness? Ruining relationships with falsities. False promises. False emotions. Manipulations, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's no false emotions, right? And so that's what you're trying to do in this conversation, right? Is is you want to give me all this nonsense so that we don't have to have a real connection, right? I never see it as wanting to do it. I don't I don't know if I do it consciously. No, I, I get it. I get it. No, if I thought you were doing it consciously, we wouldn't have made it past the first five minutes. I, I'm, I, I accept that it's not conscious. But and, and I, you're and still responsible to... for it being subconscious, right? Yeah. Okay, so what do you hate about yourself? My inability don't to give me, stop Don't give me abstractions. Give me, give me something from the heart. Give me something that's pulled out from your innards. Why can't I? Why, why, why is it so hard to get the emotions out? Like they just don't come when I want well, them to. Because, because, because you were you raised by sadists, right? And so emotions were used to hurt you, right? So you said about the children. Yeah. It hurts when you throw the rocks. And they're like, that's the point, Attila. We're supposed to be hurting you. That's what we want, right? And I'm afraid to show anything. Sure. Because to show vulnerability is to tell the torturers where it hurts. I mean, yeah. who wants to do that? You tell the torturer, it hurts when you tickle me, right? And... But you, but you don't have a life where you are a torturer and you're surrounded by torturers and that is your entire life, right? You want to, to, to break that orbit. Yeah. You want to go if, to a better place, right? Which yeah. is why we're having this conversation, right? Yes. So your unconscious wants to connect and your, your unconscious is, is, is ready to connect. But obviously there's anxiety there and there's fear there and there's, you know, aha, 
this is going to result in even more cruelty to me and Ryan, we're doomed and all that, right? Yeah. Which is why you didn't give the facts of what you wanted to talk about until we were in the conversation, right? Right. Because look, man. I, look, I want... man. Hang on. Hang on. I look, let, let me let me just ask you this question. Don't don't you hate a planet and a world and a family and a culture and a town and a whole environment that had you throwing rocks at a blind kitten? Don't you hate everything that led up to that? That's not where you wanted to be as a child, right? That's not what you wanted to be doing. That's not what you came out of the womb anticipating to enjoy. Yeah. I I don't know if I can if like if I'm capable of like hating it that much to change it. I just want to make sure that like whatever child I have like never has to feel this way. Oh God, man! Oh God! No, 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 no! You want to have kids? You got to connect with this stuff first. Yeah, yeah, right. Because you know what your kid's going to say? You are entire. You like me, like everyone else on the planet, is an entire Pandora's box of memories, right? You know what kids do? They rip that shit open like there's no locks, and they just start rummaging around inside. Yeah. Right. But if I don't process this, then... Oh, your kids are going to be like, uh, hey, here's a bunny, Daddy. Why don't you give it a hug? And you know what you're going to do? I'm going to freak out. You're going to freak the fuck out. Yeah. And all that shit's going to come back to you. Or they're going to say, Daddy, 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 can we get chickens for the summer? And what are you going to do? You're going to freak the fuck out. Daddy, Daddy, come pet this kitten at the pet store. It's newly born. And it's all going to come back. And they're going to sense that in you. Yeah. Right? And you're going to be reading them a bedtime story about the mommy kitten who saved all the kittens from the burning house. Right? Right. And you are going to be doubled over in pain. Because you know that kitten never died. Just passed into you, into your mind, into your heart, right? I mean, you're a haunted man, right? Yeah. There are the bodies of animals within you, right? The ghosts of animals within you. You have within you the deaths that you made, which I sympathize with, man, Attila. I really do. I'm not trying to portray you as a, a bad guy in this conversation. But I can guarantee you there is sorrow and anger in you at what you were cornered into 
by life through no fault of your own and what you did when you were cornered. I sympathize. I sympathize with you being cornered enormously. And I respect and admire you, Attila, for running away. But it's not done. You know that, right? It, it's, it's not done until I... It's not done. ...show the emotions. And what about somebody who wants to love you? Yeah, that's actually why I did this whole thing, because... I know. I, I, I met someone, and I think they deserve a sane person. I know. I know. Because what if somebody wants to love you? And you begin to open your heart, and they say, I smell dead things. I smell drowned things. I smell tar pits and choked geese, the bodies and the feathers that roll around your conscience, right? Yeah. How will you explain yourself to yourself, let alone to others, without the emotional connection of the rage at having been cornered and the sorrow what what you did when you were cornered? I, I I feel like that would be just making up excuses, and I don't want to excuse it. You have excuses. You have excuses. You were a child. You have excuses. You were beaten. You were crushed. You had wooden spoons smashed on your tender skin. You have excuses. Do not turn these rules into sadism against your younger self, right? Cut yourself some slack. You were in a terrorized and sadistic and brutal situation. People in concentration camps ate cats, ate kittens, but they were in concentration camps, right? Would you blame them? No, but... The Gulag Apicolago opens with Solzhenitsyn telling a story of Soviet Gulag workers so starving that they found some frozen prehistoric fish of almost incalculable value to biology and just ate them. Because they were so hungry. You see, if you don't give yourself some excuses, you're giving your parents excuses. In other words, if you take 100% ownership over your cruelty to animals, you are letting your parents off the hook. And you were an animal, and their cruelty to you predated your cruelty to anything else. Do you understand? So, it only happened because 
of the things that they did. The Would it have that... happened? Would it have happened? Would it have happened if they had been to you as I am to my daughter? My daughter has never hurt an animal. My daughter is incredibly tender and gentle with animals. She's incredibly affectionate towards animals. And the idea of hurting an animal is absolutely incomprehensible to her. No, it's, it's not even the, like it's not even conceivable. It's not. Once she stepped on a bird's foot in grass and cried. The bird was fine. Yeah. So I guarantee you, my friend, I guarantee you, Attila, without your parents beating you, this would not have happened. I never saw it that way before. I always blame myself. How does seeing it change? You're still describing like you're a million miles outside of yourself. I'm shaking right now. What's happening in your body? Like, started from my hands and then in my gut and now in my legs. I just, uh, just feel something welling up and, like, my fingers are going numb. Where is it welling up? What's welling up? In your heart, in your chest, in your belly, in your where? Chest, yeah. Okay, in your chest. Just try and physically relax. Just try and physically relax. Because I'm giving you the get out of jail free card you always had, right? I just thought it was for like it's it's gonna sound strange that it it feels like cheating to use it. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. But I guarantee you that if your if your if your parents had processed their own cruelty, they sure as shit would not have enacted it on you. I'm giving you the way to break the cycle, Attila. Did your parents break it? No. Can you break it? Why, yes. Yes, you can. I need to do whatever it takes to. But that means you take the get out of jail free card. And you place the responsibility where it in fact is, which is with your parents, who were the adults. And with your grandfather, who knew about your cruelty towards animals and did not see fit to get you any help or inquire as to its cause or do a goddamn thing other than pay off the neighbors and somehow imagine in some insane, anti-rational universe that you deal with a child's cruelty to chickens by beating the child. Oh, are you cruel to helpless animals? I know. I'll beat you up, little boy. Because that's really gonna fucking work, isn't it? You ancient, ancient asshole. Because How is that your fault? They just did, did you they... just choose wrong in the lottery of parents? Did you just uh, say, oh, yeah, there's some nice parents out there. They reason with their kids. They're gentle and empathetic with their kids. I know. I'll take the assholes who are going to break kitchen implements over my ass. 
that was not your choice. Born into a prison is not the same as convicted of a crime. You understand? Yeah. It's at their own doing, too. Like, I told my mother, like, I should not be existing because you should never have dated and married my father after just one year of dating. Right. And gotten pregnant at 22 because you were afraid of being old. And then yeah, admitting you know, to your parents that your marriage was shitty and then instead just trying to work it out with someone who obviously was abusive and then right. you just took it out on us? <laughs> you mean your mother took it out on you? Yeah, my mother, my father, just any kind of excuse and, and then she divorced him and the abuse continued if we did something that she thought was wrong. And then, like, what was the point in, like, filing for divorce because of the beating when, like, you don't stop the beating to your kids? Wait, did she file for divorce because your dad was beating you? Yeah, because, like, she was beating How do you know? How do you... Look, and us. how do you... It, it, oh, it, it so no, 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 no. No, I tell it. That's that's two very different things, right? It was mainly because two he very was different her. things. Yeah, right. So your mother thought that it was really terrible to be beaten, right? And so she divorced your dad for beating her, right? Yeah. And then what did she do with you? She beat us. And, right. And, and 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 here comes the best part. She gets together with a guy who's also violent. Of course he is. Because this is what happens when you don't emotionally connect with cruelty. Is you act it out and you act it out. Whatever we normalize, we reproduce, right? And this is why I'm working with you to get you... Look, I can't make you connect with anything, obviously. This is just words over the ether. But what I can hopefully do, Attila, is I can help you to understand how essential it is yeah, I... to connect with this stuff. And now, if you go to therapy and do all of this stuff and connect with it that way, that's fantastic. But connection is the antidote to cruelty. But sorry, you were going to say? Like, I, I understand there there is no real relationship without connection. And if I don't have the capacity to connect and be available like that, I just, you know, like, I when I scheduled this call, I I got a job. I'm starting September 1st, and I plan to go to therapy with that money. Yeah. Because, like, I, I, I tried to, like, go through all this shit after I dropped out of college and just spent the last two years trying and failing to process it. Well, and you were trying to... Um push me away as well right with, with the stories and no connection mm. because I mean you, you're pretty stuffed full of secrets here brother right yeah it's it's this feeling of like I don't know if I can trust people with it I don't know if I can trust them to be compassionate when I show them 
No, like, like, fuck, fuck, Attila. Who gives a shit if other people are compassionate? Yeah, I, I know, no, I know. But only thing that matters is this call. your compassion, your compassion, your compassion. And look, I'm trying to teach you Mandarin in an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. How, how I, would I, you know? How would you know the language of compassion, the language of curiosity, right? The language of connection, the language of being gentle with yourself. And forgiving yourself for what was not your fault. You wouldn't know that because all you know is is recrimination and rage and punishment and sadism and attack and dissociation, all that, right? Yeah. That otherworldly magic of malignant cruelty that you experience, not that calling you malignantly cruel. But it's not other people's compassion that is essential. Other people's compassion, such as mine, will not connect with you, Attila, if you do not have compassion with yourself. It's like I'm trying to try and put a plug in in the dark, and it turns out you're like a foot from the electrical socket. Oh, shit. Well, that's why it's not working, because there's no receptacle, right? Yeah. And so if you don't have compassion for yourself, there's nothing for other people's compassion to plug into. I, I I don't know if I can do it on my own. That's why I need a therapist. I think that's I think that's helpful. I mean, I, I, I think I'm that's why. I'm conscious of it, like just on a rational, like logical way, because I realize that no matter how hard I try to do it on my own, it's not going to work. Yeah, as my therapist said to me, problems that arise in isolation cannot be solved in isolation. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so bad that I can't connect right now. What do you mean you're feeling bad? Bad how? Like, I, I feel ashamed that I can't even muster anything right now. Like, no, you said you feel bad. That's mustering something, right? I, I feel like I have this hyper-developed sense of shame and this low-developed sense of empathy. But shame, what, what is the shame based on? What is the, what is the mechanics of the shame? What is like, the language that produces the shame? A lack or an inability to do something like it's it's something that oh like so so like if you burst sorry like if you burst into tears or whatever or sobbed or something then that would be good but because you can't do that you're failing yes right right and that's why I'm saying I'm not you know you don't have to do that that's not right you're not a your emotions aren't a dog that that performs on command right yeah (laughs) of course not I mean you know I wouldn't (laughs) that would be horrible right. And, and I just don't want to waste anyone's time. Like, oh, I can tell you one thing you haven't been doing is wasting people's time. I can guarantee you that. In fact, you've been scoldingly honest in this call, which I hugely appreciate. No, you have not been wasting people's time. I, you know, I'm pretty sometimes to a fault impatient with people wasting time, but I don't feel that in this case at all. One of the commitments I made was to like never bullshit when I go into this call. Yeah, good, good job. Good job with the non-bullshit. 
No, and you haven't tried to produce emotions on cue or anything like that. I mean, you've been true to your experience of the conversation, which is honorable, I think, and a good thing to do. Also, I actively rebelled against that person my mother actually married to. Like, when he was threatening me with violence, I would always resist. Like, it's like I will break before I bend kind of deal. Because I never want to be violent and I just hate the entire idea of like either terrorizing or hurting or just depriving someone of something as a kind of punishment. Right. Like in um, Good Will Hunting. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have it downloaded, but I have I don't know. Well, the victim of child abuse. The victim of child abuse. It's a great film. It's one of the great films, uh, I think, in history. But, but which just makes the Bourne movies even more frustrating. But anyway, since my father would say, I'm paraphrasing, but he would say, "Choose the stick or the belt," and I'd say the belt. The therapist says, "Why?" He says, "Because fuck you. That's why." (laughs) Yeah, it's it's this act of like suicidal defiance. Yes. Yes. Yes, and it, it it involves you in a war with the dead, hmm. which you you can't win. I can't win because they have a lack of a capacity that I have to lose. You 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 cannot fist fight a robot. Because you're flesh and they're metal, right? You have nerve endings and they don't. I and that's why f- fleeing, being a robot, as you did in that basement, after knocking the blind kitten into the water, fleeing from the lure to be one of the undead. I mean, that was like two millimeters away from your final vampire bite and you just got the fuck out, right? Yeah. You were very close to joining the dead. And with your intellects and your language skills, possibly becoming a leader of the dead. And a great power of, of brutality in the world, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I you've never, got a lot of will. Sorry, I, go ahead. I never really thought of it that way because it sounds kind of vain, but yeah. Sometimes I have oh, no. these delusions yeah. of having power well I mean think Elliot Roger right his parents don't let him up his parents don't let him up a tower when he's four and then he later dreams of ruling the world from a high tower no listen I mean I, I, I take these moments with extreme seriousness you know I talked earlier about forks in the road forks in the road yeah you recoiled from what could have been the last step towards permanent evil. Which is why I'm saying you saved your soul, you saved your future, and you probably saved parts of the species in that moment. I mean, you saved not only your future, but the future of others. Right? I, I never thought of it that way. 
No, listen, I mean, it, you, you're intelligent. Your, your language skills are great. You obviously have a fierce willpower. You might have become a politician who'd started a war. Like, you, you may have turned not just your history, but a larger history as well in that moment. This is why I'm saying, I mean, this shit is very serious and very deep. It's not just Lord of the Rings shit. I mean, this is very real stuff. That is the moment where there's the fork in the road and you recoiled and you ran. Yeah. I'm saying remember the kitten because you ran away from evil, but you have not crossed over into the light yet, right, Attila? Yeah. I, don't... I mean, you're in the Halflands, you're in the Shadowlands, you're in Limbo, right? Mm-hmm. You are not of the dead, but you are not quite yet of the living, right? Yeah, and that's why I need someone to, like, guide, to, to know, like, how does it look like? Because I, I don't know who to trust and who not to, and that's why I think, like, I can trust someone who no, actually no, 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 makes no, a living no, this no. way. Do you... Do you trust me? Yes. Okay, so you, at least you know one person to trust, right? Yeah, I, I, I trust like everyone who I can see, like basically they're happy. Right. Like they're happy to be who they are, and I'm not happy to be who I am. Yeah, and that's because you forgive the wrong people and damn the wrong people. You, you damn yourself, as we all do when we come from abusive histories you damn yourself in order to save your parents. And that is the natural occurrence of all bonded children. And all children are bonded and so often in bondage. You cannot be gentle with yourself because to be gentle with yourself means to be angry at your parents, which was not survivable when you were growing up. Neither is it now. I'm still financially dependent. Yeah, well, <laughs> you'd be surprised how quickly that can change when you get the right emotional approach. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I I, want to move on because it just – it's small and heavy in here. No, I get it. I mean it's it's the endless rocks of history that pile upon our futures, right, obscuring even chinks of sunlight. And this is why – I mean you know, this is why you can't – have an emotional connection at the moment because you're you're in your parents' house, I assume, right? Yes. You say, it's late. I don't want anyone to hear. So you can't have, you know, you, you can't tap dance in the tomb, right? You can't have emotional revelations when you're at the scene of the crime, right? I can't even raise my voice. <laughs> no, you can't. And so uh, this is why, and this is why, you know, going to a therapist is important. You're in a, a safe spot where you can truly uh, talk and, and listen, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you uh, wanted to add? So, the way I get out of a cycle is by first learning to forgive myself and accepting that like it's not all on me. Right. Like I still made the choice. I, I I moved my body and I aimed that rock and and I didn't go in after the kitten, but But you ran. But I ran and And you didn't I, do it again? Yeah. 
and and none of that would have happened if I didn't see that intense cruelty when I was young and not knowing anything about anything and thought that this was how the world worked. I agree with you, except you used the word see, which is not true. You didn't oh. see it. You experienced it. Oh, I lived it. It was inflicted upon you. Yeah, that that was right. the reality. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had no choice in rejecting or even fighting it. No, nope. couldn't get away. Never chose to be there. And no one in society stepped in to help, right? In fact, your society, I would assume, supported and enabled your abusers, right? Oh, yeah. I have one last story to tell. <laughs> if that's I'm all point. ears. It is. So, my stepfather became increasingly bold after my mother went abroad to work. So he would threaten me, threaten deprivations of food, power access to the computer, because like at the time, my access to the computer was the only venue I had of actually talking with people who didn't feel oppressive to me. Like those were people I could choose to be with or not to be with. And that's why I was so threatened. And he threatened to smash it. He threatened to like hurt me. He, and, and every time that happened, I called my mother, told her about this because I knew that she didn't want violence or yelling in the house. Mm. But it got to the point where like she would talk to him and he would just like not pick up the phone. And at one point, he just left the house and left the phone ringing. Mm. So it basically escalated when I was convinced that no matter what I do, what I tell my mother to do, what I, when I ask for her help, it's not going to change. So at one point, it just got to the point where like, he tried to grab the phone out of my hand while it was next to my face, and the finger went into my eye and grazed it, like the actual eyeball. And wow. like that was when I just like straight and went to the hospital got an examined, got a medical paper of it, and took that medical paper to the police station and filed a complaint. And I had him fined. And that was when, instead of the reaction of like, like, why did you feel that this was the only way you could fix it? I got the reaction from my mother of like, but it's a family matter. Why did you have to make it public? Yeah. <sighs> Right. Like, like she's ashamed at people knowing about this because I also talked to like the reporters of a local newspaper and it was all over the newspaper. It was front page and people were stopping me like, hey, you're, you're that guy. And I was like, yeah, I'm that guy. I, I'm that guy who stood up to domestic violence and refused to stay silent. Right. And, and the only people that I got any kind of encouragement from were my former classmates who who were the first people to say that it was a brave thing to do. Before that, everyone was like, you're so stupid. Why did you do this? Like, why did you have to make it hard on everyone in your family? (laughs) How how hard do you think it was for me to get to this point? 
Go on. Like, how much shit did I have to take to actually go to the police station that I also have a fear of because they're also, like, an authority? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Why was he only fined? Because he signed uh, an agreement that he wouldn't do it again. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's and, nice. And, and and he, by the way, this was after he signed another agreement that he wouldn't do it again. So this was his second one. The first one, he got off scot-free just by signing a paper. Now he got to sign a paper and pay some money. Right. Well, you're neither a voter nor a taxpayer when you're young, so what the fuck do they care? Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Like, and the police, the way they treat it is just just another case. So, like, I can add another number to my career and get a fatter paycheck when I retire. Right. Like, they just listen to my story. They just like the the same thing. Now that I think of it, like they didn't connect. They just went completely empiric, scientific, just cold cut and dry. And and I yeah. and that's that's what I don't want to be. No, and male victims. I mean, I knew a guy who never even hit his wife; just punched a wall. She calls the cop. He goes straight to jail because you see, that's a woman. Why? Oh, because patriarchy, right? Whereas you get your eyeball scratched. I mean, you could have lost an eye. Yeah. Like, and this is what happens when you uncork violence in a household or anywhere for that matter. People say, well, you know, I was only hit by a belt. It's like, yeah, but if you twist and you're being hit by a belt or a spoon or something, it can take out an eyeball. It can puncture an eardrum. It can break and then splinter into someone's rib. And I actually like, had a conversation. You don't know. Sorry. You, you, sorry, when you uncork violence, you don't know where it's going to lead. How many times, like, a punch can kill someone. Like, one punch? Yeah. Violence is letting loose a real demon in the world. But, uh, sorry, you were going to say. Um, like, I confronted my mother about this afterwards, and I don't know when it was, but eventually she started listening um, like I told oh, so her, your complaints about your stepdad? No, it, it, not just that. It's like just about like my thoughts and my feelings and just what I what I watched, what I'm interested in, and like we started having like actual conversations where she would talk about her her childhood and like my childhood and like how she was raising me and how she was like how it was working with my father. And anyway, beside the point. Um, I confronted her about what this happened, what my stepdad did that I went to the police with. And I, and she said that if I had something serious happen to me, then she would have done this and this and this. And I was like, but why, why is it that you only wait for something to happen? Before? No, what she means is that if, if something happens that she could not hide from the public, then she would do this and this and this. Yeah. Right. In other words, because this was her whole issue was that you went public. You actually got police protection from an incredibly dangerous assault. 
And so you're blamed. You know, it's like, uh, you know, why did you, why did you report that rape? Yeah. Now everyone's upset. It's like, excuse me, I was fucking raped. And I think that's when the paradigm shift started happening for her, when she started realizing that, like, all the times I said, like, no, no, this is not right. This is not how it works. Well, maybe I'm right and maybe they're wrong. Like, mm -hmm. the moment you start questioning yourself, the moment you're, you, you're no longer have this absolute certainty, then you start thinking about the things mm -hmm. you do and say. And that's one of the things I've committed myself to is to never be completely sure of anything I do. Like, mm. always, always examine myself. No, that is a very, a very good plan. You know, I don't know if I had a dollar for every time I've been called arrogant. <laughs> you know, I pretty much own oh, the planet. Oh, she calls me arrogant too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, because because it's not arrogant to beat children, to be so certain if you're in the right that you're willing to beat defenseless and helpless children. That's not arrogant. And uh, yeah, uh, people call me arrogant because it's a lot easier to hurl invective than it is to analyze an argument. Or then they say, my words have so much power that they can move mountains and my words must be controlled. It's like, nope, my words don't have any more power than anyone else's. And uh, they just ascribe magical power to my arguments and, and other people are then helpless. They must obey what Steph. It's like, nope, just make just making arguments. Not nope, no power here. Uh, boy, if my arguments were that powerful, there'd be no more spanking in the world, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, lot, people will do almost anything simply to avoid rationally processing anything that anyone's saying. Just there's massive amounts of literally bonobo ape style hysteria that occurs. Uh, you know, for most people, uh, the sound of rational thought is like a gunshot in the Amazon. Everybody just takes to the, to the skies and doesn't come back. But, uh, you know, the few who stay learn how to wield the greatest weapons. But um... Another thing I'm very proud of to have achieved is, uh, like, I got into talks with her, and I got her to admit that, like, I just told her about the times, like, like how I was beaten, and she told me that whatever she was doing it, she just, like, flipped the switch off and now that I was telling her about it rationally because she forgot all of this she too saw like how horrifying it was and she told me that if she had to do it again she would do everything differently and she she says she feels bad it's just she also says that this was communist Soviet bloc Romania and the only information sources available were like how to feed, bathe, and change the diapers on your children, and that's it. Mm. So she got mm. the children's book every mother got, and everyone she asked for advice for basically just told her how to keep a baby alive, and that's it. And she basically just improvised the rest based on her childhood experience, which was basically the same. Or even worse. Hmm. But I can't get her to like accept this completely because accepting it would mean confronting her own father. Which right now is a 98-year-old man. So... 
Yeah. Well, it will be very tempting to focus on your mother. Oh yeah, I know. I can't. Like I, I, I mean, have you can. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just be very tempting to focus on her at the exclusion of yourself, right? But um, I think you've done great. Now, how, how are you feeling at the moment? I'm good. Like I, I feel like I've accomplished something. I, I feel like I've learned, like a little bit on what to focus my thinking on and my analysis, and I, I know. Like I'm, I'm positively sure now. Like just how importantly I need therapy because I'm really upset at my inability to feel shit. Right. right. Well, like, I, I like, think yeah, you may be surprised when you listen back to this. You may be surprised at how passionate you got at parts. I'm getting passionate right now. What are you feeling right now? Just, it, it, it's funny because like I, I'm getting more upset at my inability to get upset about something really horrible than about the thing itself. That's good. That's good. No, that frustration is really important. It means you're noticing that you're hungry. You know what you do when you're hungry? You go find some fucking food, right? Yeah. It's good. Uh, it's good that the frustration at because it means that you, you realize you're missing something that is essential for, for happiness. I mean, the capacity to feel is happiness. You, happiness is an emotion, right? Yeah, and, that, and that's and, and the knowledge that I can still like get this like makes me feel that – I still have a chance. It's, you do? Yeah. You do? Do you know whatever happened to the people who stayed in that basement? I I have no idea. Like I just I just lost track of them. I, I see them once in a while. But it's just like hello, hello and goodbye. Like nothing. Yeah. Well you might wanna poke around a little bit and see what happens to the people who stay in those basements with the kittens. Yeah, I. Okay, L- last story. I swear, but this is relating to that, like the connection and everything. When I was in kindergarten, there was this one random other boy in the class, and we were in the schoolyard, and I wasn't thinking. Like I just. Like, it was the most natural thing in the world at the time. I pick up this rock, and I drop it on his head. On whose head? On the boy's head. Mm -hmm. And it hit his head. It was a small rock. It didn't cause any serious concussion, but he started bleeding and crying. And I was just standing there, watching him. Like, no laughter, no anger, no any emotion, just observing what was the effect. Sure. And later on, like years later, I have this field trip where I was like basically learning photography and we went to like just this random fair and in that random fair, we see, a, we see an ice cream stall 
So we go up to the ice cream stall, and the guy running the ice cream stall. Who's that guy? Yeah. And he recognizes me. He remembers me, and I don't remember him. And he he tells me, like, you know it's going to be one of those feelings when the way he introduces himself is like, oh, I'm the guy you dropped the rock on. Mm. And he gives me ice cream for free and is all friendly. And I'm just like, I'm I'm just so sick. I can't even eat that ice cream. And I just, I just want to just get swallowed by the ground. But you couldn't say anything, right? Yeah, I just couldn't say anything. I just like say say hi, and, it, and as soon as realization hits me, I, I just feel this icy chill over me. You know this 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 terror that you have is your salvation, right? Right, this anxiety, this this horror, this fear. Yeah, I've thought about this many many times over the years, but. Um, I was, uh, you know, as I've mentioned before on the show, I was a shoplifter when I was young. It wasn't always food, though. Certainly some of it was food. Some of it was toys. Uh, When I was um, 12, maybe 12 and a half. And it was a couple of months, and I stopped. And I stopped because I wanted sunglasses, and there's no money for sunglasses. And I was standing – the store is now defunct, but it was a store called Eaton's. And I was standing at a sunglass rack, and I I wanted to steal – the sunglasses. I had no moral issue with stealing the sunglasses at all because society was such a shit heap and had let me languish in violent abuse for, at that point, more than a decade. And so the idea that I owed society some moral considerations, I certainly feel that now. But back in the day, good Lord, no. But I was terrified to do it. I was too scared to do it. And at the time, I was sort of nonplussed that I was scared to do it. And it wasn't the money. I'd stolen more expensive stuff before. But it was that fork in the road. Like, you know what? I'm actually kind of becoming a thief. And like, understand, I hadn't stolen a lot, and I hadn't stolen much, and it wasn't like I was running some big operation or something, you know, but I stole some food, a couple of toys, you know, but but I thought there was this, it, and it, it was just fear. It was just fear. And at the time, I, I viewed that fear as sort of an impediment, and I did not steal the sunglasses, and I don't believe I ever stole again but that fear was like a bummer at the time like oh man here I'm walking out with no sunglasses right it's really bright outside (laughs) and uh, my friends were like hey did you get the sunglasses you know it was like this you know like the the cool the rite of passage like you with the right yeah with the friends oh my friends right yeah one of whom is now dead Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so you feel like you failed. Or I shouldn't say you. I felt like I had chickened out, right? 
But oh, what a great salvation that fear turned out to be. How inconvenient at the time and how necessary for a moral future, right? So I get, you know, I mean, with me, it was stealing. With you, it was animals. But you're sliding down the path to a pretty negative place. And then something kicks up in your brain and says, stop. And you recoil. And you have failed at being bad. Which means you have the chance to succeed at being good. In other words, having self-respect, having love, having pride, having a positive effect on the world, and a negative effect on evil. Ooh, how delicious, how delightful, how lovely. And it all came out of fear and failure at being bad. What an upside-down world that is. Yeah, absolutely. So strange that you have to fail at being bad, even have a chance at being good. I feel a rap song coming on. Anyway, All right. Well, listen, it's late, and it's been a great call. Like, look, I, Attila, I hugely appreciate you know, your, your openness and your honesty uh, in the conversation. Yeah, thank you. I tried to make the most of it. <laughs> I think you did. And um, was there anything, uh, Mike, that you wanted to, uh, to add? No, I think you guys covered the full gamut of it. Thanks again for calling in, Attila. Yeah, You're keep welcome. us posted how it goes, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, if your mom's sorry, and it's, I'm glad that she's admitted fault, you know, maybe she can chip in for some therapy and all that. And uh, But yeah, get in and work hard. Uh, I know you will. But uh, you can do some fantastic uh, stuff uh, with your life. Uh, you've got great, uh, you've got a great moral engine in your heart that, uh, you know, obviously saved some animals. Um <laughs> which is great. So thanks again for calling in. Do keep us posted uh, if you can. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for your time and attention. Sorry to the callers we did not get to. But um, at any time I can help uh, with these kinds of issues, I certainly do my best to try. And um, we will talk to you on Wednesday, fdrurl.com slash donate to help out the show. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for Mike for running a great show as always. We will talk to you soon. <laughs>